Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Close the door, light the light. We're staying home tonight. Hello, I'm Graeme Simpson. I am the Seekers representative as well as the historian and biographer. And I'm Christopher Patrick, author of the book ABBA Let the Music Speak, a forensic look at ABBA's music, published in 2008, and very happily co-author with my colleague Graeme Simpson on the book The Seekers, the 50-year recorded history of Australia's first supergroup. You know, there's one question I, I get asked repeatedly uh, by fans and uh, people in the media and whatever, um, is is what is it about the Seekers? You know, what makes that Seekers thing? And I think Judith Durham has actually answered this question very well um, in, the, in the past. She has said that if someone had been looking to put together a, a, a a group and call them the Seekers in the way that the monkeys were put together, you know, auditioned uh, and the Partridge family and there were quite a lot of groups um, that, that did it that way, that you would never pick the four of them ever. That would be the last choice. You, you might pick them one of them, but you'd never put the four of them together. It was more the fact that they came together almost accidentally and very organically and just started sitting around singing in a, a coffee shop. But it was in that coffee shop, the night Judith first sang with the three boys, and they were a trio at that point. They had been a quartet, but the uh, fourth male member left. Uh, he'd got married and he left and he had a much higher voice. So they ended up um, thinking they needed a girl and it just, fate put, Judith um, starting a new job at J. Walter Thompson Advertising in Melbourne uh, on uh, in December 1962, and um, uh, Athel was an accounting executive there, and Judith was um, you know in the typing pool with the other girls, and they were just chatting. And when Judith mentioned she was a singer because she had a, um, a solo career as a uh, jazz singer at the time, they said, "Oh, there's another singer here, Athel Guy. He's you know up in that office there." Now Judith had heard of Athel, and Athel had heard of Judith, so she went along very shyly and introduced herself. And he said, oh, well, you know, the two guys and I have got a little regular Monday gig at the Treble Cliff, which was a coffee lounge in um, uh, Turek Road, South Yarra. And he said, why don't you come along and, you know, sit in with us? And, of course, Judith was a jazz singer and, and the three boys were more folk and um, almost bluegrass, I suppose. But Judith has the ability to pick up things very quickly. So she just fell in and sang along when she felt comfortable. But you'd have to say that night, and I think it was December 3 in 1962, that the Seeker Sound was born that 
night. You know, they would never have dreamt it in a million years. You wouldn't, you know, you couldn't even... You, if, you, if you wrote it at the time as a, um, uh, a concept for a movie... People would think it was far-fetched. It's kind of, oh, that doesn't happen. And the furthest thing from their mind uh, at that time was, oh, we're going to get on a boat and we're going to become world famous. You know, just they were having a bit of fun. In fact, they didn't even get paid at the Treble Cliff. They got a meal. You know, after the after they'd performed, they got a free meal. You know, uh, a nice little restaurant. But um, yeah, so it was the that unique blend of of those four voices, um, that very. Um, uh, excellent um, instrumentation, and as it was later to to prove um, when you know they became professionals, um, Keith Potker's extraordinary vocal arrangements, and I know you'd agree with that, Chris. Yes, look, it uh, it was that uh, seminal moment when they got together at the Treble Cliff, and even at that point, though they they wouldn't have been aware of of what chemistry, what chemistry was possible. And they, uh, of course, as you say, Judith picked things up very quickly and she joined in and she could, I think she would have picked up very quickly that there was a, a, a lot riding on that four voice sound and that she could see her way to helping that along and and not just being the icing on the cake. And it, uh, it took a, a, a little while, but... Uh, Eventually, you know, not long after that, I guess, um, the boys hadn't the delineation about the, the vocal layers, the harmonies. Keith and Bruce sort of uh, chopped and changed as far as who would sing above. It should be Keith above, Bruce in the middle and Athel below. But but they experimented a little bit before they realised what that unique combustible sound was, which was um, which came through in... Uh, early tracks like I'll Never Find Another You and Open Up Them Pearly Gates, which uh, was the definitive Seeker sound, which remained in, intact and in place right to, to this day. And that, uh, you know, Bruce's uh, expansive mid-range baritone, it became clear that they had to utilise that voice to its utmost. Uh, Keith's high-range tenor, where he can just hit the most amazing heights, uh, and Athol's plunging depths, the, the bass. His amazing bass voice uh, was just amazing. We had a bass, a baritone, a tenor, and then Judith Durham, the one and only, whose voice sounds like no one else on this planet. And that that was the, the, the magic that was about to be unleashed on the world. And Tom Springfield saw that uh, and seized on that with I'll Never Find Another You, and the rest is history after that. But... Uh, but it was all there, but it just needed a little bit of tweaking, and they found the magic pretty soon. And uh, only in recent times, uh, Bruce Woodley has has talked publicly about the fact that when they started recording with Tom Springfield uh, in uh, London, uh, with a lot of those EMI rec- early EMI recordings, Bruce would deliberately sing a little bit flat. And Keith would deliberately sing a little bit sharp. But then when you put it all together with Judith's lead vocal and Athol doing what Athol does, it all just works. You wouldn't listen to those recordings and think, oh, there's two people are flat in that. It just mm. meshed together right. But they had to actually sing out of tune to get that sound. Well, that's funny you should say that because that's exactly what Michael 
Tretto, who was ABBA's recording engineer, discovered early on and the first uh, uh, sort of beneficiary of that technique of detuning, as it were, and also double tracking. So he would record an entire backing track, get the musicians to play the whole track twice over, identically, but he would detune one track just slightly, make one a bit flatter than the other, and same with the vocals. The girls would sing right through the whole vocal set, and then he would detune that so that there was this, provided this amazing uh, resonance and harmonic expansion, which was uh, incredible. And, of course, he and Bjorn and Betty were both in, uh, very heavily influenced by Phil Spector and uh, and the Beach Boys, and they, Benny always used to say that the best records are the ones that you can play on a little tinny portable radiogram or cassette player and it just sounds magnificent. And he said that's what they wanted to achieve. And I think the Seekers were able, were able to do that with that very technique way before anyone else was well, probably you, you doing it. Well, you obviously know the... Um uh, the influence the Seekers had on, on ABBA. Yes, there is one particular track uh, on their first album um, uh, called Another Town, Another Train, which has a Bjorn lead vocal and the girls join in the choruses. But it's very much, you could imagine, Bruce Woodley singing it. Uh, it's, um, it's the, I believe it's the Bjorn and Benny's tribute to the Seekers without actually saying it in so many words. But... Uh, it's, it has all the hallmarks of a Seekers track and it could very well have been on the Senior Green album. I think, I think I've told you this before, but sometime in the 90s when I was working in, in Melbourne in the city, um, I would have the radio on in the background and I'd listen to talkback radio, it was 3AW at that time, and it was Ernie Sigley actually who was uh, hosting and his guests were Benny and Bjorn and I think they were in uh, Melbourne for uh, the opening of Mamma Mia, uh, one of the runs of Mamma Mia. And... Ernie Sigley asked them how they created the sound that ABBA have. And one of them, I can't remember now which one, said, well, you probably know there's a little Australian group called the Seekers. And uh, uh, when we first got together with the girls, we went out and we got every record we could of theirs, every LP, and we just analysed how they put the vocal arrangements together and how 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 they created that sound and uh, I mean he they they didn't say this themselves but obviously they took what they heard from that and took it off in a different direction but what you were saying about the um, the ABBA uh, uh, recording technician mm. uh, doing the two different versions or whatever maybe they'd pick someone had picked that up from what Tom used to do by getting them to sing out a tune Tom 
Tom Springfield was extremely important and absolutely pivotal, pivotal to the success the Seekers would enjoy during the 1960s because he did recognise very early on that they had a unique set of voices and he saw the compatibility, the, the totally different character between the three male voices and Judith sitting on top. And uh, he used that to great effect uh, when he began producing them and, uh, and guided them to that special magic sound, which was absolutely enhanced no end by Keith Potka's amazing vocal arrangements, which he has done right from the very start. So very influential. He was part of the, the cosmic magic. He was one of the two points of compass, Judith Durham being the first and him being the, the second that, that would um, guide the seekers on a very, very... Uh, positive trajectory to um, chart success all around the world and it must never be underestimated the role he played. Judith's late mother kept every letter that Judith wrote her in from London in the 60s. And it was aerograms, handwritten aerograms that were done on trains or planes or, or whatever. And it was fascinating because they're all dated to go through and to see how Judith was looking at things in that, right in the middle of it. And the one that she sent to her mother in um, uh, November 1964 uh, she mentioned that the man that they were working, the nice man that they were working with, whose name's Tom Springfield, Dusty's brother, um, has given us a song that we're supposed to be recording on the fourth. And she made a mistake because she said it's called "There'll Never There'll Never Be Another You," and personally. I don't think much of it and I don't think anyone will be interested in it. But then before she posted it, she'd crossed out there'll never be another you and written I'll never find another you and then in brackets, oops. <laughs> it was just funny thinking that she was going to record it thinking... Um, uh, it was called something else. No, no, but she was going to record it thinking, well... I don't know, it won't do much, but anyway, everyone seems to like it, so I'll do it. Well, of course, you know what happened. It went to number one. The other thing is that uh, we should mention, which might be obvious to a lot of listeners, but of course, Tom did the trifecta for, for them. You know, I'll never find another you went to number one. Then he wrote A World of Our Own. Uh, then he wrote The Carnival's Over. You Three know, in a so, row. And the B-sides of all of those songs, because seeing the Seekers weren't writing, they couldn't, they weren't getting uh, writing royalties, you know, publishing. And it was Tom who suggested pick songs from the public domain and you can claim them, you know, arranged by. And that gave Judith, the, that's where, when she was able to introduce to the group her jazz and gospel background. So the the B-side of um, I'll Never Find Another You was Open Up Them Pearly Gates, which Judith used to sing solo. The B-side of um, A World of Our Own was Cinnamon, 
again traditional, and the B-side of The Carnival is Over uh, is We, we Shall, shall not, not Be, be moved. moved, again, and she used to do that solo as I Shall Not Be Moved. Um, and the other interesting thing, particularly about The Carnival is Over and We Shall Not Be Moved, is that they booked a three-hour uh, session for that with the orchestra for um, Carnival is Over and they did both sides in one take. Yeah. No overdubs, nothing. Straight in, straight out. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Yeah, absolutely. There is a, there is, you can sort of hear evidence when you are a musician. You can hear evidence of, of a first take and then Judith's vocal on We Shall Not Be Moved. There's just a slight hint of nervousness in her voice, but she warms up very, very quickly. But that I can I t- I sense that as a as a musician, knowing how difficult it can be to do your first take and and pull it off without any mistake. But uh, they're magnificent recordings, all of them. We tend to mention uh, I'll Never Find Another You uh, quite a lot because obviously that was the start. It was the start of their working relationship with um, Tom Springfield. Uh, It was their first single for EMI, so it it gets more uh, mileage when you talk. But the one that sometimes gets overlooked is A World of Our Own, which Tom wrote. And the interesting story behind that one, um, aside from the fact that when it went to number one, it knocked the Beatles off with ticket to ride but um, Tom presented the song to the group after I'll Never Find Another You had gone to number one but the song he presented to them was called Downhearted Blues and it didn't sound anything like a world of our own it was um, you know pardon my singing it this time of the morning but uh, uh, I feel so downhearted downhearted wasting my life away over you and Judith being Judith sort of said, you know, it's it's a bit of a um, a down song, you know, and, and I think Tom probably would have said, but you did all those Bessie Smith blues, they're all, you know. But she said, oh, yeah, but the Seeker sound is more happier or whatever. There was a line in Downhearted Blues, the end of one of the verses or choruses, which was a world of her own. And she pointed at it and said, why don't you call it? write a song called A World of Our Own. So he went away and came back with, you know, close the door, light the light. And further on to, uh, on that song, I'll Never Find Another You, because it was the big first launching single under Tom Springfield's stewardship, um, it also uh, uh, saw Judith take a concerted uh, sidestep from her traditional classical stroke, jazz idioms and inflections and, and fairly fast vibrato, and she toned it back to a more pop pop voice for I'll Never Find a, Another You. And I think when you compare it to other uh, songs of that period, it's really quite uh, interesting to see how she understands that even though it wasn't in her comfort zone, so to speak, and it may not have been a song that she initially embraced wholeheartedly, she I give her an enormous credit for actually making the effort to to sound 
in a pop vocal way as opposed to uh, uh, the more jazz type of uh, inflections that she would include on the gospels and things like open up them pearly gates and what have you. So interesting. And I know you will find- 